0: Welcome back to the History Connection podcast. Today we are going to start a new section of the podcast called Unsung Heroes. I wanted to do this part of the podcast because I think this would be much easier for those who may not be able to listen to longer episodes or would like to hear more content that may not be completely in series format if You know we end up doing two or three parts to one topic on an episode so i wanted to offer an alternative that would allow people to listen to more episodes but it would also allow them to listen to more episodes in a shorter format so today we're going to have a little short episode called unsung heroes this episode series is really going to be shorter episodes i aim to go no more than 20 minutes but to talk about certain people ...and certain events in history that if these people were not involved, these episodes of history would have never happened. So without further ado, let's get started. Today I want to speak about one of the most forgotten unsung heroes. And I think it's one, he's one of the perfect persons to really start this episode series on. And his name is Joseph Warren. Joseph Warren was an American revolutionary, politician... But most of all, he was a physician who was born June 11, 1741 in Roxbury, Massachusetts. Warren went through a childhood that was actually quite hard. His father, Joseph Warren Sr., died after falling out of an apple tree on their farm. And this basically forced him to grow up quickly and take care of them, of his siblings, that is. He, had, he was the oldest of four of four siblings, So he had to grow up and take care of them While having to work with his mom and, and, and do things to basically keep the farm functioning When he was 14, he went to Harvard He went to Harvard College It wasn't Harvard University at the time It was just Harvard College And mind you, going to Harvard at 14 Was actually quite impressive Because most students actually started college In the, in the colonial era at about 15 or 16 So he went to Harvard at 14 um, learned a lot of Latin, and learned um, many different subjects, actually. But upon graduating, he used those Latin skills that he picked up and taught briefly at a Latin school. After doing this, he decided to study and become a physician. Now, during, uh, and after he became a physician, he actually married and got married to his wife and eventually had four kids with his wife now on along this whole trajectory that warren had he built this reputation that he had as a physician and he actually was on the road to become one of the finest physicians in the new england era but things really started to take a turn in about 1767 when he started to gain public notoriety and why did this happen this was because the townsend act was passed. And these acts were annoying to most of the colonists, of course, and it forced him to write a series of articles in the Boston Gazette under the pseudonym, A True Patriot. These articles basically were an attack on the Townsend Acts and really his ideas of liberty and and pursuit of freedom that should be given to him, given to the colonialists under the British crown. This angered the royal governor of Massachusetts so much that he actually tried to charge Warren with libel, but the grand jury refused to do so. So he became a part of one of the radical circles of the time called the Sons of Liberty. In fact, After all that he did in in 1767 with the royal governor, or with the series of articles that he wrote in the Boston Gazette, he then started to become involved with radical circles. I should better define that. Called the Sons of Liberties, he actually was good friends with Samuel Adams, the great cousin to John Adams, of course, second president. No, who uh, none other, and uh, he also had a high standing in the Masonic lodge. And he was really close to Paul Revere, who was a great friend of his. Now, he was also close with other members of the Sons of Liberty faction. And literally, this faction started to fuel the desire of the movement that eventually blew up into the American Revolution and the fight for independence from England. But these were really some of the first people who are known as the founding grandfathers of the United States as they went to go on to really catalyze these major events that eventually led to the revolution. Warren was actually a major part of this. And why was this? Because in 1770, the Boston Massacre occurred. Now, what most people don't realize is that he was actually the chairman of the Committee of Safety of the Boston Massacre that was planned out by the Sons of Liberty, which were literally responsible for this. Some quick, um, A quick summary of the Boston Massacre is that basically some angry colonists started confronting British soldiers and they were throwing rocks and really yelling abusive words at them. Now, the British army men, the British soldiers, I should say, they fired on the colonists without orders from their superiors, killing five people. This is really what, f- this is what fueled Joseph Warren's involvement in the Revolutionary War. In fact, he was on the Committee of Safety, as I mentioned before, and actually came to the scene and started treating those people who were wounded in the Boston Massacre. Now, what is interesting... Is that he was starting to become really troubled, as he as I had mentioned before, from really 1767, but it really started to trouble him a lot, that England was doing these sorts of things and imposing all these sorts of taxation acts on the Ameri- on the American colonies, and they couldn't do anything about it. so it started to place him into more action. Now, one thing I will want to read is something that he wrote on the second anniversary of the Boston Massacre on March 5th, 1772 in the Old South Meeting House. Joseph Warren was a really skilled speaker, charismatic and and powerful with words. And I could not pass up this moment to read a portion of the speech that he spoke at the second anniversary of the Boston Massacre. And I quote, The British Constitution is a happy compound of three forms, of the three forms, under some of which all governments may be arranged, vis a vis monarchy, aristocracy, and democracy. Of these three, the British legislature is composed, and without the consent of each branch, nothing can carry it with, nothing can carry with it the force of a law but when a law is passed is to be passed for raising a tax the law can originate only in the democratic branch which is in the house of commons in britain and the house of representatives here the reason is obvious they and their constituents are to pay much the largest part of it but as the aristocratic branch which is in britain the house of lords and in this province the council are to pay some part Their consent is necessary, and as the monarchic branch, which in Britain is the king and with us, either the king in person or the governor, whom he shall be pleased to appoint to act in his stead, is supposed to have a just sense of his own interest, which is that of all the subjects in in general." His his consent is also necessary. And when the consent of these three branches is obtained, then the taxation is most certainly legal. Powerful, powerful phrase right there. I I thought this this was one of the most powerful things I've read in a long time. Because he literally sums up this idea that, The king is only one portion of the taxation of the taxation law making it's the democ it's the democratic branch of the British government that has more of the hearsay because the governor and all these parts of the British branch are supposed to represent the desires of the people seeing as it's the democratic part and therefore only under those tenses, when all three consents are obtained by the king and by the democratic branch and the house of commons, etc., etc., uh, and the aristocracy, then taxation is legal. And when he wrote these words, I, I thought it was amazing. I, I've never read words like that. It was awesome. Actually, I'm going to put in the, in the notes as well, in the show notes here. I want to you to get an opportunity to read the rest of that speech. It's fiery. There there are parts of it where you're sitting there and you're like, wow, these people really had a vision and they knew what they were talking about. Anyways, I thought that was amazing and I hope you found it amazing there too. So that's just a glimpse into how Warren was and how his mindset was and really how the colonists mindset were because they lived all the way across in the colonies and they had people on, the, on American soil in the colonies who basically said the king has said to tax, but they're acting in the name of the king, but they are not the king himself. And they were like, this is not fair. We need a say in this too. This is, if this is a democratic government, we need a say in this too. And therefore... Um, That's really what was the catalyst behind the revolution. But anyways, moving forward in Warren's life, um, he was also, um, how do I say? So after all um, his main orations and speeches, he then became involved really in the preparations of what became the Battles for Lexington and Concord. In 1774, Samuel Adams eventually went to Philadelphia, right? And during that time period, Warren actually assumed Adams' leadership role in Boston. And he actually became involved in raising militias. And in raising militias, obviously procuring arms and getting gunpowder, etc., etc. And Warren was actually also one of the people... no. Warren was the person who would direct Paul Revere and and William Dawes to go warn the two leaders, Samuel Adams and John Hancock, when they were at their lodging place in Lexington, Massachusetts, to go arrest them. Uh, um, No, because the British were going to arrest them, and they had a bounty on their heads by the crown. So Warren was involved in one of these things. And imagine, if Warren didn't warn Revere and Dawes to go... Um, arrest, or to go and and get Adams and Hancock to be taken away before they were arrested, that could have been something that was catastrophic for the revolution. I mean, who knows the outcome of that if they were actually arrested? But it was Warren who did that. Warren was the one who actually warned Revere and Dawes to go do that. And eventually, after even that part Revere and Dawes actually performed the Great Midnight Ride that everyone knows about. Now, the news of what happened at Lexington and Concord was what would cause Warren to really go towards the battle scene and actually start treating some of the people who were there because he was a doctor. This was his nature. So he started actually treating some of the people who were on the field wounded from Lexington and Concord. And what was amazing about this is that he actually escaped death on this, ba- on this battlefield. In fact, he actually participated in some of the fighting at Lexington and Concord along with his physician duties. He escaped death by a hair, literally. In fact, the story goes that a bullet came and chopped off a portion of hair right above his ear. That's how close he was to death, but he escaped it by a hair, all for the pursuit of liberty. In fact, after this, he would spend six weeks preparing his militias for battles that were destined to come, and on June 14, 1775, he was actually elected general in command of the Massachusetts forces by the Provincial Congress on the 14th of June, 1775. He was elected second general in command. And all this culminated to his death at the Battle of Bunker Hill on the 17th of June. On the 17th of June, 1775. So what was amazing here is that actually the night before he went to go fight the Battle of Bunker Hill, he wrote, he said something to El Eldr- to Eldr- Elbridge Jerry. What an interesting name. I really do not ask how they came up with these names, but his name was Elbridge Jerry. And he said, quote, I am aware of the danger, but I should die with shame if I were to remain at home in society while my friends and fellow citizens are shedding their blood and hazarding their lives in the cause. End quote. This as the type of man that was fueled by an idea it wasn't just a movement anymore that's the thing the revolution was no longer just a bunch of sons of liberty going hey we need to be free because everyone was feeling the effects of unfair taxation without representation and all these ideas like the quartering acts where you had to house soldiers against your own will, and all these different ideas. And they decided the only way we're going to be able to get our freedom is if we fight for it. And therefore, this led to Warren's development as a leader in this in this faction, in this revolution. He literally started to become a leader. And he met eventually um, the next day, a couple days later. Um, on the day of the Battle of Bunker Hill, he actually met with another committee of safety in, on the Cambridge House of Commons the morning of the 17th of June and learned that the British forces landed at Charlestown. So he then rode over to help out with the American fortifications on Breeds Hill because we all know the Battle of Bunker Hill was fought on Breeds Hill. And he actually became legendary. Instead of fighting as an officer, because he was given second general in command of the Massachusetts forces, right? He decided, I'm going to fight as a volunteer instead of as an officer. So he chose to fight on the front lines. Is that, that's basically what he was saying. I'm choosing to fight on the front lines because he would be ashamed to die, to remain at home while other citizens are shedding their blood for the cause of liberty, man. It, it's powerful, powerful stuff. And, and, and furthermore, during this fight, he fought gallantly, um, really fought gallantly. But on the third and final British assault, because as we remember, the first two assaults that the British did, the um, General Prescott, one of um, the smartest generals really of the moment, he basically said, We don't have enough ammunition. We don't have enough men. Don't fight until you see the whites of their eyes. In English, that means don't fight until they're really, really, really painstakingly close. Because of this, the British actually ran away because they're like, oh, wow, we're actually getting wounded. Uh, we're This is bad. This is really bad. And they thought they were winning, you know. But then the British came around a third time with cannon and more men. And thus... This led to actually most people retreating because they realized there's not much we can do. But for the people who remained, like Warren, in the third and final British assault, in an attempt to rally the militia, he was shot right between the eyes and was killed instantly. That is the end of Joseph Warren. He died six days after turning 34. And in fact... After he was killed, he was, after the British took over Breed's Hill, he was put on in a mass grave. And Paul Revere was the one who later identified him. He left behind four children that were orphaned because his wife died a few years before the revolution started. And in fact, his four orphaned children were living a rough life until General Benedict Arnold came and paid for their schooling. But with Warren's death, he became an instant hero and his potential to this day remains unknown because if Warren lived on, he most definitely would have been a prominent figure in the formation of the American government. But what we do know is America would not be what they would be or America would not be what it is if it wasn't for the effect for the actions of Joseph Warren. Thank you for this thank you for listening to this portion of Unsung Heroes. We'll see you next time.